Hey guys, welcome to episode 11 of Love and Grief. This is Christina Ross. Um, I know that we haven't had very many episodes lately. Actually, I haven't had any in quite a while. It's probably been two months now, if not longer. <clears throat> and I want to apologize because I know a lot of you have been looking forward to it and I keep putting out updates saying that we're going to have an episode coming up and I just want to explain kind of what's going on. I started this podcast because I felt that there weren't a lot of outlets for widows to share their stories um, in a safe environment. I felt that way a lot and so I figured if no one else was going to do it, then I would try and do it. And this has been, I hope, such a great place for people to just unedited, share their story, what they feel, what they think. And I think the listeners have been super supportive and caring about, you know, hearing these stories. That being said, it really has been draining on my soul to listen to all of these stories and while I do feel so extremely privileged to be the one that hears these stories and puts them on my podcast ultimately it has kind of thrown me back into my own grief and dealing with things that I haven't dealt with and I have to say this is my third year after losing my husband and this third year has been the absolute worst for me Um, and I feel like I really need to take a break and step back and actually deal with my own grief and stop trying so much to take on everyone else's and it's just it's kind of been unhealthy for me so with that being said this is going to be the last episode um and side note I'm not very good at this podcast thing there's always like glitches and you'll see in this episode my voice is kind of off when it comes to responding to an interviewed and it's just I'm just I don't know not that it matters because people still just get to tell their stories um but I just want to let you guys know how grateful I am for those of you who have shared your stories and let me put them on my podcast and for those of you who have listened and sent me messages and Um, I'm just, I'm so grateful for all of you. And this is, um, this story was rough too. I mean, they're all rough. It's, we've all, you know, everyone has lost somebody. And the way she lost her husband is just devastating. I, I hear other people's stories and then they hear mine and, you just wonder how they even made it through and she's just her story is just so beautiful with the life that she's made afterwards and 
So, again, thank everyone who has supported me and supported these women and even men. And um, with that, this is episode 11. My name is Kim. I am from San Antonio, Texas. I am 46 years old. I have been a middle school special ed math teacher for 23 years. Um, I have two kids, who is 17, and Hannah, who is 14, about to be uh, 15 in a couple of weeks. Um, I, my free time, I, not so much anymore, but, um, I got into running about 10 years ago and, um, that kind of, other than teaching and kids and sports, I just ran a whole lot and ran half marathons and trained for marathons and, um, qualified for the Boston Marathon and ran that. It'll be four years. Yes, uh uh-huh, did that. I I got a running coach and I did that uh, four years ago. Went with my parents, uh, Vince's mom, one of his brothers, the kids. Um, So that almost, yeah, four years ago it was, uh, did that and um, married Vince in May of 2000 and um, met him in San Marcos, Texas. I had graduated from Texas Lutheran uh, College in Seguin, Texas and and went with a friend to live in San Marcos and uh, we lived in the same apartment apartment complex and um, so that's how we met and got married in in May of 2000 so yes. can you tell us a little about him well he he um, died when he was uh, 43 of oral cancer and um, he um, didn't have any history of it in his family or wasn't a smoker, wasn't a drinker, um, never chewed tobacco. His doctor told him when we found out that he was this unlucky 2% that um, gets it like that. And um, so he just, he always lived life to the fullest and um, was an amazing, amazing person. Um, So... What did he enjoy to do? Like, what are some of the things he enjoyed doing? Oh, my gosh. Well, his biggest thing was supporting the kids and I. He was our biggest cheerleader. He never missed a kid's soccer game, football game, track meet, volleyball (laughs) tournament. He was at everything. And in the nine to ten years that I ran... Uh, He'd get up at four o'clock in the morning with me, drive me with the kids sleeping in the back seat of the car, would drive me to the start line 
and would then take the kids out to breakfast and and then be at the finish line taking pictures and uh, recording me crossing the finish lines and followed me on some crazy adventures uh, trying to trying to qualify for Boston thought it would be a good idea to run a marathon in Colorado because I thought running down a mountain could get me to the finish line faster so drove 15 (laughs) hours (laughs) drove 15 hours to Colorado so I could run a race and uh, so that's who he was and and how he was and he would always put the kids and I before anything else and and everyone knew that about him and he was also a teacher. He graduated actually from Southwest uh, College University in San Marcos with an accounting management degree, did that for a few years and got jealous of the kids and I having summers off and (laughs) and Christmas off. And so he got his emergency certification and spent the last 12 years of his life as a science teacher and then wanted to get over to my school district. So uh, he could have the same schedule as as we did, and and then uh, got his special ed certification and was a became a special ed teacher, and um, so he he did that, and and we were able to, and he also uh, did real estate part time. He was a real estate agent because two teachers. I mean, we we did okay, but he grew up with four kids in a small town, and. Um, didn't go on vacations growing up and so that was something that he wanted to do with us and and so was a real estate agent and a teacher and so we that was our fun money and so we would take cruises and his favorite thing was Disney and we honeymooned in, at Disney one year anniversary at Disney and then I think our kids went to Disney every year or every other year up until he passed and and we even went to Disney and uh, he passed in September of 2018, a year and a half ago, and we took our last Disney vacation in uh, June of 2018. And his brother got married at Disneyland. And uh, so we got to go there uh, three months before he passed. Um, so. So what happened when you found like what were the signs that something was going on oh well in november of 2017 he noticed a white patch about the size of a quarter on the left side of his tongue and didn't tell me just didn't think it was a big deal and didn't want to worry and and so i knew nothing about it and he actually just went to a med clinic and uh, they said, oh, you're chewing on it, you're biting on it, so we'll just give you amoxicillin. And um, didn't go away. And then in December of uh, 2017, went to see his primary care physician and just thought it looked a little bad and off and, and decided you need to go see a ear, nose, and throat doctor. And that was scheduled for January 22nd of 2018. And did, he, he told me about it maybe the week before because he was going to have to miss some school, take a half day. 
and um, gave them a honey-do list. Okay, well, if you're taking a half day, my car inspection's out, and your driver's license expired, your appointment's not till 11, and um, that, that day um, went for, uh, he went for uh, the appointment, and on my lunch break, I called him and uh, said, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I got your car inspected, got the new sticker, uh, got my driver's license renewed. Okay, well, how was the doctor's appointment? And there was a few second pause, and uh, he said, well, he thinks it's cancer. And um, just kind of, well, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. What did he do? He didn't do anything. He just looked at it. Well, how can he just tell by looking at it? I don't understand. You know, I'm starting to lose it on the phone. I'm at school. I'm like, I just, I need to leave. I can't be here. I need to be with you. I need to, I need to see you. I don't, this doctor shouldn't have told you that if he didn't do anything. I'm just, I just need to be home. Went across, told my work partner, I got to leave and left and met him at home and cried in bed together and I'm like what so what's going on he said well he wants me to see the head doctor and that's not until January 31st I'm like that's nine days what do what do we do and we decided we weren't going to tell anybody we didn't tell the kids we didn't tell our families friends nobody we kept it just between the two of us for nine long horrible days because why worry anybody if it's not anything and um so we did a lot of research on the computer, which probably isn't the smartest thing to do, uh, but we did and um, had the appointment on January 31st and uh, did a biopsy and then found out on, I think it was about February 5th, that it was cancer on his tongue and the left side of, of his neck. And uh, me being this organized, structured planner, I was like, okay, so when are we doing surgery? And he says, we need to do it fast. It's going to be on Thursday. And this was like a Monday. Oh and gosh. I'm like, oh my God, like work and it just, okay. And it just, it was um, very overwhelming. And we're in the car driving home. And that's when he's on the phone with his mom and I'm on the phone with my mom and, um, get home and tell the kids and all four of us are in the kitchen crying. And, um, just, it was a stressful couple of days, just trying to get everything ready for work and surgery and, um, so he went in on that Thursday and family and friends were all there and, uh, it was about a six and a half hour surgery and doctor came out and they took a third of his tongue and about 78, 80 lymph nodes on the left side of his neck and, uh, was in the hospital for just two days and um, went home with a drainage tube something just for drainage and and was actually back to work about a week and a half later and we were told that the cancer was gone and margins were clear and 
they wanted to do radiation just as just in case to make sure and he went in for some appointments to get fitted for teeth trays and a face mask and we were told that radio it would be daily for six weeks but Monday through Friday he'd go in at like seven in the morning and do his radiation and then off to work he'd go doing his teaching special ed kids and teaching them how to cook and life skills and that was his thing too and we just started kind of living differently after that it was kind of um just you don't take things for granted and um don't go to bed mad and uh just it things were just I mean, we had a great marriage and and just the typical stuff little things here and there but was different after that um it's hard to explain but it was just it was it was different and just live each day to the fullest because you just don't know how long you have and that's what he would tell people and yeah. but he never would come out like socially he would he did Facebook but he he kind of kept it private and and I didn't say anything on Facebook because I thought well if he's not sharing his story on Facebook then I'm not and so really the only people that knew were just our family and um, you know co-workers and close friends and and that was that was it it he it wasn't blasted all over the the place because that's how he wanted it at the beginning it was later on um when the cancer came back that then I said I you need to share your story with with people just you know if you can help somebody um you need to share it and he did um a couple weeks before he had passed um so that's that first half (laughs) of of what we went through and he did radiation yes kind of the end of march april uh time frame and again went in for appointments and we're told that everything was clear and everything was good so we planned that trip to disneyland to watch his brother get married and um came back from that and uh, the November before we started having problems in our house with pipes and busting and the builders were like y'all need to move out for two weeks so we can gut gut yeah gut your house and and fix it and we said well we're teachers we have kids we can't do that you'll have to wait till the summer patch it up wait till summer and so a week after we got back from Disney late june it was like june 26th we moved out for two weeks and and put our daughter was uh, in a marine biology camp in in corpus christi and so we stayed there for a week and came back and they and the builder paid for it put us in a hotel for nine more days and uh while they redid our whole house and and while we were in corpus at her camp he noticed like a canker sore on the floor of his mouth and um, I looked at it and I, well it looks like a canker sore and but you need to call your doctor and let him know and so when we got back he called and 
and uh, made an appointment and went in like on July 13th. It was Friday, July 13th and went in for a PET scan and another biopsy. And then that very Monday, uh, we're told that the cancer was back and it was much more aggressive. And we were like, how does that happen? Like in May, you're saying everything's clear no sign of cancer and here it is two months later and it's back and you're saying it's spreading and it's aggressive I don't you know I just I didn't get it and uh, said he was gonna bring in a, um, a a different doctor this time uh, I'm lost kind of the, the word I'm thinking of, but just a, a doctor that kind of just another doctor that he, he need like yes, to, to take okay. skin from his arms and skin from his legs, um, because they think it's deeper into the mouth and they're going to have to reconstruct and, um, a reconstructive surgeon is yes uh so we had these appointments and being told okay well i'm gonna have to take um an egg size skin graft from your wrist and take out one of your radial arteries if i have to rebuild the floor of your mouth just all this stuff and uh okay well how long is this surgery going to be about seven to nine hours okay mm -hmm. um okay so when are we doing this so it was uh, not as fast as the other one was it we had to then wait about eight or nine days and it was on a Wednesday around maybe July 25th and uh, went in and I had told the family say your hellos and but then y'all leave this is too long take the kids y'all don't just go I'll give y'all updates and um, so everyone was there. The doctor actually came in about five minutes before the surgery and and this kind of upset me a little bit just because we didn't get really any kind of time to think or talk about it and I'm one of these I need processing time sometimes when it comes to certain things and the doctor said uh, if I have to take your tongue you know would you want me to take the whole tongue and it's what it well oh what do you God. mean and he says well it's kind of quality versus quantity of life right now um and we were just really quiet and and i didn't know like in my mind i'm thinking well if he takes the whole tongue he can't talk and maybe he needs to leave a piece of it so maybe he could talk and this all this stuff's going through my mind and and then vince looks at me and i just kind of shrug because i don't know what to say and and he said, um, take my tongue if you have to, because I, I pick quantity over quality. I'd rather still be here longer with, with my family, so take my tongue if you have to. And just was like, oh my gosh, what's life going to be like if he's can't talk you know all this stuff's going through my mind and and here we are in this prep room and they're going to wheel him off in in five minutes and um and then off he went and i i don't even remember if i told anyone at the time um but everyone left and his mom and i were there and i just i remember reading a book for school 
and that they wanted us to read and it was probably three or four hours into the surgery and the doctor came out and I looked up and he just had this horrible look on his face and immediately I thought he died he died on the table and he said he kind of motioned me over into one of those private rooms that they have in the waiting room and I thought oh my god he's dead he he died and and walked in there and and I can't tell you all he said it was way over my head and it was just him and his mom there and he was pretty much giving me two options of things he could do and I finally I just told him because the one reconstructed doctor was so upset that he kind of had squatted down and was kneeling kind of next to me and his head doctor was just kind of telling me I said I'm sorry I don't even know what you just told me um I don't know which option you should do because I don't understand either one just tell me how much longer do you think he has and at, right after I said it I thought oh god do I really even want to know this answer maybe I shouldn't have asked um and he said three to six months and uh yeah, his mom's sitting next to me crying and and so I said we'll do this option the one where you could keep vocal cords and he could maybe learn how to do something with his vocal cords but I don't even know <laughs> at the moment what what it all was going to entail he said that the it, the cancer had spread to his carotid artery and he wasn't going to touch the carotid artery um so I I picked the the option that would keep vocal cords to where he could maybe make sounds if he was if I'm in another room maybe he could make a noise to where I could hear him type thing and um called a few people just a couple a close friend of mine my parents they came back up um told just maybe four or five people about the three to six months and then I decided I told my parents and my friend okay this this no one can know about this is a secret Vince can't know about this because the doctor didn't want him to know because if you find those things out maybe you don't like you curl up in a ball and you just figure there's no chance and and so I didn't want him knowing that I wanted him to fight because I thought there's still a chance there's just still maybe the doctor doesn't know what he's talking about there's there's I'm not giving up and so I don't want him knowing about this three to six month thing and I told the doctor please don't tell him he goes I won't I want him to fight and get through this healing process we need him to heal so we can start chemo in a month the chemo doctor's not going to touch him with these wounds he's going to have and so he went back into the surgery and it ended up being 12 hours he went in it at like one in the afternoon and it was one o'clock in the morning the next day and he was in icu for about five days and they uh took the egg size graft from his wrist, took the radial artery, took all the skin underneath his neck, uh, took skin grafts from his thighs, his chest. He had staples all the way going up his chest, um, all his bottom teeth. He did leave just a tiny little piece of his tongue. Um, uh, 
it just I mean he he just it was a lot it was a it was a lot and when he finally woke up oh trach trach tube um they gave him a trach and uh you know said he was never gonna eat again and um he woke up and freaked out you know he's breathing from a, a trach and spent the five days in ICU with just drains and he walked after a couple of days and and being special ed teachers set him up because he was writing notes to the doctors and I thought this is just BS we've got to figure something out we're special ed teachers we can so we got an app on the iPad that could talk and so he could type in things and that made him I think that built his confidence way up that you know, a nurse could ask him something and he could type it in the computer and the iPad would save what he typed. And so he got real silly with it and just like, you know, I have <laughs> to poop or, you know, I have to fart, whatever. He did. He got sin was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is his personality. But the nurse, they loved it and um, moved into a trach unit at the hospital. And we were both trained night and day on how to care for him at, at home and um, went in for another surgery uh, to put a stomach peg in and uh, went home after about 11 days and we were kind of like on our own and it was scary and trained the kids and showed the kids how to how to do the trach tube and how to drain it and um, we had a bell sitting next to him the whole time that he could ring if he if he needed something and it was just a different life and and how just thoughts of work and you can't talk anymore and he's a teacher and a real estate agent and so making phone calls you know he'd sit there and write or type things out and and I'd have to you know talk for him and but uh so at this point he still doesn't I never he died right? not knowing I never okay. I never told him because he he always thought he could beat it I mean he did everything that they said to do he we had to carry around this breathing device this drain thing suction uh we had like if we went somewhere it was like this huge like a like when you have a baby and you're taking the diaper bag type thing that's what it was like when we went places we had to take his formula for his feeding tube and uh the the suction thing was huge i mean we couldn't forget that because if he had to suction the trach or i had to do something um we had to do that and but you know they said exercise and we brought the treadmill in from the garage and put it in the living room and we'd go on walks with the kids and the dogs every single day he did he followed everything that the doctors said to do and um the the chemo doctor wouldn't start chemo and um because there was so much his this whole neck was just open and um, we had to clean that every single day that was a, a long process 
just to clean him every day and with the wounds that he had and um, so the doctor wouldn't do chemo and until he healed more and we thought oh you you know but the it's like the his head doctor wanted to start it but the chemo doctor wouldn't and um about a week and a half before he passed uh when he'd suction blood started coming out and we thought well maybe it's the suction maybe you hit maybe you hit an incision in your mouth and accidentally and it just caused it to bleed a little bit and so for a couple of days we were just kind of like okay why and then it would stop and um and then it got worse and so we called the doctor and he's like um we need to start chemo now like i'm gonna call the chemo doc we need to start chemo now he said it's he he said i think it's the carotid artery starting to fill up with blood and um we need to start chemo now to 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 shrink shrink the cancer that's on the carotid artery and uh, there was one particular night it was on the tuesday on a tuesday and uh he went to the kitchen sink and coughed and blood just gushed out from his nose his mouth the trach tube and I like luckily the kids were upstairs and I panicked I'm like oh my god what do I do and he could he could talk you could understand him a little bit there was a a little piece of the tongue where you could still kind of understand it was hard and he just was like call like call 911 I thought oh my god I've never done this before and call 911 and there's like 20 men inside of our house like firemen and ambulance people all in the house and by the time they got there the bleeding had stopped and they're like well what do you want us to do and he just kind of wrote down he said well it stopped um y'all go if if we go to the hospital my wife will take me and so they left we called his doctor and the doctor said if it gets worse you need to come in and uh so then like for two or three days it didn't it didn't bleed again and we thought okay this is strange and and then a few days later it was labor day weekend uh it started bleeding again and he said just if it gets worse come in and so on the sunday before he passed um it got worse and we went in to the emergency room at methodist and the on-call doctor came in and um said yeah we're gonna admit you and start chemo so he got chemo on labor day on monday labor day and the doctor he was still vince was always very hopeful he said um if we can get this chemo to work it will shrink the this tumor that you have on your carotid artery it'll shrink it in half and then you're gonna go in and have this uh port put in and we'll start doing chemo weekly and it'll just keep shrinking it and we were like okay this is great we're both being positive and um he uh had the chemo like monday monday night it's like a six hour process it was long they like pumped him up with three different kinds of of chemo medication and um 
and then we stayed Monday night and Tuesday and then we went home and we had to go back on Thursday for the for the chemo port and so we're at home for a couple of days and this face just started swelling up like horribly you couldn't even recognize them and the chemo doctor was like well that's one of the side effects of one of the the drugs and then we called the head doctor and he said mm. he said I'm glad you're coming into the hospital tomorrow for the chemo port I have a surgery um, as well I'll come in and, and see him and uh, so went in on that Thursday September 6th to have the chemo port put in and the bleeding was just out of control and uh, the doctor doctor his doctor came in after his surgery and he says man you don't look well and he said uh, he told him I, I think the the end is near and he goes so you have a choice to make that you're either going to stay here at the hospital or go home and uh, I immediately then answered for him. I said, we're staying here because I thought I can't have him at home if he like bleeds and I won't know what to do or the kids to see, see that. And um, I said, so we'll, we'll stay here tonight and then we'll just kind of talk about it. And, and I'm so thankful that 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 decision was made um, I ran home and and got a overnight bag and his brother and his mom came up and they were watching high school football on the TV and my parents took the kids that night because they were back in school already I think it was their second week back and so they were gonna keep the kids and his mom and his brother left and uh, we were watching TV and he hadn't eaten all day with his stomach peg with his formula because of the surge, his having the chemo port put in and uh, was had an appetite, was hungry and um, and so he ate and then I sat down with him on the bed and I said, uh, well you heard Dr. Hales, he said the end is near, I don't know what that means, like does he mean like tomorrow, does he mean in a week, does he mean like in a month, and I'm, you know, and Vince just looked at me and he shrugged, and I said, well I have questions for you, I said I need some, I need answers to some things, then I don't want to have this conversation with you right now, but I need to know, like do you want to be buried do you want to be cremated and he's writing this stuff down like in one of my little notepads and he said I he wrote down buried and I said who do you want your pallbearers to be and he listed seven um guys and um I and and then he everyone knew Vince oh gosh he was just the worst dresser he it was horrible he uh, he was t-shirt and khaki Nike t-shirt and cargo khaki shorts and tennis shoes and we'd go places and it'd be like really can't you just put on jeans and a nice collared shirt and he'd be like nope and so he wrote down I didn't even ask he wrote down 
I want to be buried in my Nike t-shirt and cargo khakis. And I was like, no, I said, no, you can't. I said, I'll put it, I'll have it. And we kind of, then it was, we laughed a little bit about this, this, it's kind of crazy, but, but we were, and, and I said, okay, but I'm going to put a suit, a suit over the khaki. And he, and he wrote down, okay, fine. And, um, and so you know, I'm, I look back and I'm thankful that I asked those questions because I wouldn't, I would have always thought, well, would he have wanted this or that? And he re- even wrote down, um, I want my students there. He said, I want a party. And I was like, no, I said, you can't, no. I said, I'm not going to be in the mood for a party. Are you, are you kidding me? No, sorry. <laughs> he said, I want pictures. I want music. I said, okay, we can we can do that and uh and then put the paper aside and um he got up and and had to use um uh, the restroom and the nurses came in and checked you know what they do to check temperature and all that kind of stuff and um around 11 oh gosh 11:30 um he coughed and uh, and blood just came out from everywhere and uh, and it had happened that week prior at home and I just but this it just it wouldn't stop and I just stood up and I rang I just kind of yelled help to whoever and and I stood there and I just was kissing the top of his forehead and I just was, I kept repeating, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I don't know how many times I said it. I just, that's all I could say as I'm like kissing the top of his head. And someone came up behind me and said, you, you need to leave. There's going to be a lot of people coming in here. And I just remember walking around the side of the bed and making eye contact with him. And he kind of, he was sitting up in bed and he kind of looked at me kind of like and shrugged and just the the look he had on his face like is anyone going to come in and like help me and and i just i kept i was still i love you i love you i love you as they're like taking me out of the room and um they said we'll take you to the waiting room i said no I said, I want to be right here outside of the door. And there was probably 20 or 30 people in the room. And, and every now and then I would yell out, um, I love you. And, uh, you know, the little chaplain person now is up there as well. And 20 or 30 nurses surrounding me that can't fit in the room. And, and I stood up at one point and I could see them doing chest compressions on him and I thought he's gone you know they're doing CPR or something on him he's he's gone and um I could hear the doctor in there like who's his doctor and they're like Dr. Hill get him on the phone and I need blood in here and someone walked by with some ice it looked like an ice chest and I'm like I guess it had blood in it I don't I don't know and um I don't know how much time well I remember when I saw the chest compressions I looked at my watch and it was 11:48, and I thought okay 
I've seen on TV shows, then when they say time of death, and I was like, okay, it's, I just remember that number, 1148, and, but then some time passed, and this doctor comes out, and he said, okay, we're taking him to ICU, and I'm, and I was confused, like, what do you mean you're taking him to ICU, and, and then I thought, oh my God, he, they brought him back, and, and, you know, you just have this, like, hopeful feeling again, and he said, um, we brought him back but we you know talked to dr hales and there's nothing that that can be done do you want to see him before we take him to icu and and uh i walked in there and it was like a murder scene that you see on tv there was he was just on the bed laying there and they had someone just pumping this oxygen thing and his breast or his chest is just going in and out and they had just cut him uh like scissors his gown so he's just like open you know it completely naked just laying there on the bed and blood everywhere on the floor because i guess from all of them being in there and they were slipping and sliding in it and and i'm just like just standing there in this room and um just looking uh they were like we'll help you get your things and um they said do you have a change of clothes because i didn't realize i was splattered in it from when i was in there when it first happened and um i said no i'll you know i'll be fine and you know it was all over the, the blanket i had you know that i was sleeping with in the chair next to him and i I, I I remember walking to the ICU with the little chaplain and he said, do you want to call anybody? And I said, I, no, not yet. I need answers first before I wake anybody up. And I can't have my kids come up and see what I just saw. No one can see what I just saw. And so I can't have anyone come up until I see him myself to see what kind of condition he's in and I did call one of his brothers who's in the military and um was on the phone with him and uh, and then they finally came out and and told me that they had him in ICU and and I said did you did you clean him I have kids I need to bring people up and but I can't have people see him and they said no we cleaned him we cleaned him off he's under bed sheets and he he looks good and I said okay but I'm gonna go in there first and and check it out and I went in there and um spent some time in there with him and uh and then started calling and um and asked I don't even remember who was all there. The chaplain never left. My parents were there, the kids, um, his mom, her, Vince's dad had died about eight years prior of diabetes, and she's she's with um, somebody, so he, he was in there, and... Uh, um, and I asked them, I said, what is this machine doing for him? Like, what, what's going on? Like, will he wake up? I mean, I, what's going on? And they, they said he's only getting 20% oxygen because of all the, the blood in his lungs and, 
and and everything I said so what happens if we take him off and they said he'd probably breathe on his own five or six minutes and then he'd pass and I said oh gosh so this is this is it and he's not waking up and um so you know I made that decision right there his mom you know was there and I said I can't we can't be his doctor called the doctor he said no there's nothing you know you keep him like this for a week it's nothing's gonna change or, or anything and I thought well can't have us go through this and um so you know give us some time and before we we take him off and um I, I've told a handful of people this you know I was whispering things into his ear because uh, there was you know room full of people and I made promises to him that uh, I'd stay strong and I'd be there for the kids and I'd make him proud and um I swear he squeezed my hand and um and I, I announced it to whoever was in the room I said he just squeezed my hand I know I felt it um and so that was just kind of like a sign of for me just you know I heard you and you know it's okay and so um after everyone had their moment with him um took him off the life support and his brothers were on the phone on speaker and his sister and and everything and and uh, he made it on his own those five to six minutes and he was pronounced dead at, at 136 in the morning on September 7th and uh, so kids and I, I think we were there I don't think we got home until like about 4 30 uh, the close friend uh, that was there of ours um, drove the kids and I home and and I just remember I don't think I slept the three of us just laid in our bed together and uh, and I didn't sleep and I just remember getting up at like 7 the kids were still asleep and just got trash bags and and threw out anything that was cancer related all the trach stuff and mm -hmm. the formulas and just anything that had to deal with cancer I was like get it out of of the house I want his stuff here his clothes you know all, you know, all that stuff here but the can anything cancer has to go um, and uh, you know put it in trash bags and my dad you know took it took it away so um mm -hmm. and so it was wow. eight eight months from the time we found out in January of 2018 to his passing in September so it was fast <laughs> mm -hmm. how old yeah how old were your kids at the time 
15 and 13 because it was just it was a year and a half ago and so yeah because then Justin's birthday's in December so he then turned 16 yeah because <laughs> we had gone after he had that second surgery and we had to travel everywhere with you know his trach stuff uh we had gone to the DPS to go get Justin's permit to drive and uh and uh and Vince was going to be in charge of that because we all knew mom wouldn't be able to handle <laughs> that. And uh, so a few weeks after he passed, we, Justin and I started our, we did the, we can do parent taught here and uh, signed up for the parent taught because with the kids schedules, it's just impossible to do driver's ed. And uh, so we did a six month parent taught and he did it with me and we we survived and uh so yeah he was it was right before he turned 16 and so he he just turned 17 so um well um right now they are (laughs) you know vince and i have did a good job with them and they're just very happy-go-lucky kids and very strong group of uh, friends and parent friends and uh, Justin has one of those just very outgoing personalities and Hannah's um, a little bit more withdrawn so I was I'd always kind of check in with her more just because of her her personality they actually at my school uh, my house is right next door to the school I teach at so they were able to go to my middle school so I had them with me for five years and and Hannah is a freshman now so she was with me last year thank goodness and uh, there were other kids in the school actually two months after events passed another eighth grade girl lost her dad and then there was a teacher at my school whose son had committed suicide and there was a few other students that had lost parents or a sibling and so the head counselor actually started a grief group um last spring her eighth grade year and uh so she did that and at first she didn't want to because she didn't want to open up to anybody i said you don't have to talk I did grief share a few months after he had passed and and I went in thinking I'm not talking to anybody but um, I said you don't have to Uh, but she ended up going and it was uh, a couple of times a week and she loved it she loved it and um, but I don't know if the teacher in me the mom it was like I did this like weekly check-in where where my son would see and I still do it and my son's like oh geez here we go and I'm like I'm sorry I need to check in I need to know how you're doing and how you're feeling and um so they've they've been good um they you know had taken like a week off of of school but they were ready to get back I was nervous for them um but they they jumped right back in they they just yeah. needed that kind of structure and, and to stay busy. And 
and they had their friends and um, that was important for them so um, you know life went on for them um, with their social and their their school um, so so they did they did well with it so what about uh, you how do you feel you're doing right after uh, oh okay no, um, no, now like how do you feel like you're doing now you know there's always there more good days than bad um uh you know i don't cry as often uh the beginning you know was tough went went through this few months of just felt alone no one in my circle not even my parents have gone through what I've been through grandparents lived to 80s and 90 year, you know years old and married no one no one's going through what I've gone through and so the first few months all I felt like I had was um God <laughs> Uh, lots of he uh, books on heaven. I wanted to know where he was, and um, and I've always been a believer. But my faith is what got me through 